So before we get into the text, uh, if you were with us last week, um, I, I just want to follow up from uh, Pastor Dustin's message. Um, maybe just a show of hands, how many people put their ketchup in the refrigerator? <laughs> so, um, and if you don't know what that means, I'd encourage you to go back and um, listen to that message. Um, I, I just put a snapshot of Heinz ketchup on his Facebook wall uh, saying, you know, it is recommended that you refrigerate. And oh my word, it blew up. People were commenting and all sorts of things. And, uh, but I think Connie very wisely said, I think that was the very point that we not divide over things like this. So, um, but that's where we are in the text in, in Romans 14. Um, we've been working our, our way through Paul's letter to the church in Rome. And as we are now in this very practical section of what it means to know that God has justified us by faith in his son, Jesus, and that our sins are forgiven, we are now called to live a life that is pleasing to God. And and part of um, living a life that is pleasing to God is to understand properly where we appropriate all the things that happen in life and our decisions that we make in life that maybe the scriptures don't necessarily speak into. Um, and, and so it's in these like gray areas, right, that sometimes we find the most tension in the body of Christ and in our own lives because it, it's really easy to build walls and, and make um, make decisions for ourselves that convince us that we're further in our spiritual walk than maybe we necessarily are. You know, do this and don't do this kind of statements. And so Paul uh, graciously brings this thought up to the church in Rome. It's introduced to us, and as Pastor Dustin shared in uh, verses 1 through 12 uh, last week from Romans 14, uh, we're not going to get as far this morning, and I know he said that uh, tongue-in-cheek last week, um, and I, I shared in Sunday school that just for the, his comment that he was preaching 12 whole verses, I was only going to preach on one word, but uh, I decided <laughs> to go a little further, so... Um, but it's this idea, right? And, and wherever you are in the spectrum, I, I need you to understand that we're, we're using words that Scripture uses. And it, they're important because they help us understand where we are in this process of sanctification. The last week, Paul introduced this fact when he says, now accept the one who is weak in faith. And so you have this contrast that is introduced by Paul, those who are strong in faith and those who are weak in faith. Now, I'm not here to say right now that because you hold to a certain belief or your Christian liberty is exercised in a certain way, you're strong or weak. We're going to let God sort that out. What we need to be careful of is that as we read passages like this, we don't presume that we're somewhere on the spectrum that we might not actually be and that we're proud in that and we walk around thinking, I'm strong, when maybe there's some things that we're not so strong in. But the, the analogy that Paul introduces to this church is that there are some who are weaker in their faith. And because of that weakness in their faith, it's not that they don't love Jesus, right? He doesn't say they don't have faith. It's that they're weaker in their faith. And as a result, there are some things that could be a challenge to them as they walk with Jesus. And Paul says to this church, be careful. 
We have to be careful and mindful of where people are in their spiritual walk. And now he's building upon that. I came across in Chuck Swindoll's book, The Grace Awakening. It's called The Grace Awakening, a story about some missionaries. And he uses it in an analogous fashion to explain some deeper principles. But he says there was a missionary family that was forced off the mission field by another missionary family over peanut butter. Um, this family was sent to a location to serve the Lord, and, and um, they had sent some, a request home to their friends to send them some peanut butter. And uh, after a while, they finally got it in one of their care packages, and they believed that the peanut butter was neither itself good or bad. They enjoyed it, and they felt there was nothing wrong with eating it, so they looked forward to the care packages that would come in with the peanut butter. The established missionaries that were with them, though, had another viewpoint. They, they decided that they would show their commitment to their calling by not having or eating peanut butter. They considered it a luxury, and they didn't want to uh, go above and beyond the cultural norm. And so these established missionaries pressured the new missionaries to agree with them. In fact, they pressured them so hard and so viciously that the family left the mission field and actually left the church for a period of time. Now, if you take out peanut butter and you insert drinking wine with your dinner, having a beer on a warm afternoon, playing cards, dancing, letting your kids go trick-or-treating, going to the movies or anything else that we put in the list, the color of the carpet in the sanctuary, the version of the Bible that you read. Like seriously, years back while I was here, we had someone that visited the church. They attended the service. And after the service, they, um, they asked me because they were like, hey, I, I, I wasn't able to follow along with your sermon. What version of the Bible were you preaching out of? And I said, the New American Standard. And they said, oh, you don't preach out of the King James? And I said, no. And they said, I won't be back. So, you know, you fill in the blank of all those things that we fought over, that we've divided over, that we've pressured people over, that we've split over. And we see that often we get liberty wrong. In the Christian life. What do I mean by Christian liberty? What I mean is this. The, the scriptures teach us that if the scriptures don't say anything about a certain thing, we have liberty to exercise. And if the scriptures are clear, we live in, under the, the shelter of where the scriptures are clear. The problem is things get muddied when we presume things that God has said that he has never said. And, and we can inflect that on other people as a measure of spirituality. And, and Paul is calling this church in Rome to be careful in the exercise of their liberty so that we don't presume upon anyone a, a framework of Christianity that is not biblical. In fact, we're going to see in our text that there's something beautiful about the exercising of Christian liberty, that when we get it right, the church is stronger as a result of it.
Now, I want to read the verses that are before us this morning. I'm going to be reading Romans 14. I'm going to pick up in verse 13, and I'm going to read through verse 18. And as I read these verses, I want you to pick up or take note of any words that communicate difficulty. Um, You know, like, this isn't a passage that, that is warm and fuzzy, Uh, What I mean by warm and fuzzy is, you know, when Paul will welcome uh, some of the churches in in the beginnings of some of his New Testament letters, he'll he'll share all of these loving uh, platitudes, that he's praying for them, that he's encouraged by them, that he misses them, that, you know, he's looking forward to all the good things that God is going to do in their life and all those things. And, And here, though, as he's digging deep concerning Christian liberty, He's sharing some of the challenges that exist. And I want you to just pick up or note some of these words that are difficult. In Romans 14 and verse 13, we read, Therefore, let us not judge one another anymore, but rather determine this, not to put an obstacle or a stumbling block in a brother's way. I know and am convinced in the Lord Jesus that nothing is unclean in itself, but to him who thinks anything to be unclean, to him it is unclean. For if because of food your brother is hurt, You are no longer walking according to love. Do not destroy with your food him for whom Christ died. Therefore, do not let what is for you a good thing be spoken of as evil. For the kingdom of God is not eating and drinking, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. For he who in this way serves Christ is acceptable to God and approved by men. Did you pick up on those like challenging words? You know, don't harm, don't judge, don't block, don't cause people to trip up. These challenges convey this picture that if we miss these things, it brings tragic consequences to the body of Christ. You know, we're not just talking about minor disagreements that where, you know, people just say, hey, you know, you're here and I'm here and we're just not going to, you know, always talk about the same things. Or I might not do this with you or those kinds. Of, like we're talking about tragic consequences that can exist in the body of Christ if we go too far in the exercising of our liberty to enjoy things, but at the expense and harm of other people. So putting this together... I want us to see that it's important for us to consider that throughout this passage, true spiritual strength, okay? So I'm presuming that if you're here as a follower of Jesus, you want to be a person that exudes true (laughs) spiritual strength. You want to grow in your faith. You want to be strong in your faith, right? Okay, so true spiritual strength is more in what we are willing to give up for the sake of another person than lording it over a person as a means of superiority. That's what Paul is teaching here. Do you see that? True spiritual strength, the strength of your faith as a follower of Jesus, is more measured in what you are willing to give up for the sake of another person in the faith. Not, I can do all these things. It's no big deal. And I think sometimes we reverse it. 
And we think, well, I'm mature in my faith, so I can enjoy all these things. Well, sure, you can enjoy all the things. But if it's at the expense of hurting another Christian who is weaker in their faith, then that is not true spiritual strength. And more than that, because when we talk about being, you know, those who are weaker in their faith and those who are stronger in their faith, and it's tied into especially what Paul writes here and what you eat and what you drink, that we can fight over those things, sadly. You know, if you, if you were a Jewish Christian and you came out of Judaism and pigs were unclean and they sat at a table with Gentile Christians who did not have a lot of dietary restrictions, right, as the Jewish people, and they sat down at five guys and had a bacon cheeseburger, that would be a problem. The Gentiles would look at the Jews and say, why don't you eat bacon, God's word says it's clean. And they would say, yeah, but it takes me back to that moment in time when I was bound up in all these things. And just out of respect of that, I don't want to go there. And then the Gentile says, yeah, but come on, you're making a big deal about that. Or the Jewish person who is free in Christ, who has that liberty to not choose and enjoy that, says to the Gentile Christian who's choosing it, saying, why are you making a big deal about that? And they judge them. The weaker judges the stronger. And so you have all sorts of issues. But more than all of that, look at verse 17. You know, when, we, when we talk about Christian liberty, sometimes we, you know, we fire these shots just back and forth. And Paul says that the issue isn't liberty. The issue is the kingdom of God. And oh, as the people of God, oh, that we would settle for the things of God and rest and celebrate and enjoy those truths. Then disagreeing and arguing and devouring each other over food and drink and all the other things that we add to the list. So let's look at verse 13. Paul says, Therefore, let us not judge one another anymore. That's an important phrase. Um, It builds on verse 12, right? There's only one judge. His name is God. And we're going to give an account to him. And God is really good at being a judge. In fact, he's perfect at it. So let's let him do that. Therefore, let us not judge one another anymore. This word judge that is used means to look down on someone to view them with contempt. It's that critical judgment. It's that, oh, you did that? Oh, I can't believe it. Don't you know better? It's those kinds of things. And then you walk away and say, oh, They must not be close with the Lord. I mean, they did that. They're doing that. But here I am. I have it figured out. And when you look down on someone, you elevate yourself, right? And you put yourself in a position that you are never supposed to be in 
Because there's only one that is higher than us, and his name is Jesus. And we trust him that God is perfectly good at judging. Let's not do it ourselves. Now, this word determine that that Paul uses, therefore let us not judge one another anymore, but rather determine this. This word determine is the same word, same root word as the word that was used for judge earlier in the verse. But it carries the idea of a decision. Let us make a decision. Let us be focused on what we do versus what others do or what they're not able to do. Church, if there be any judgment that fall on us, let it be this, that we will not harm our brothers and sisters with the exercising of our Christian liberty. That we will not go about our lives with a critical kind of understanding of saying, well, you do this and you don't do this. And why do you do that? And haven't you graduated in your faith so that you don't worry about these elementary weak things? No, let's not ever presume that we can put ourselves in that position and understand that at the foot of the cross, it is level for everyone and that God is perfectly good and righteous in how he judges our hearts. And to clarify this, Paul brings up two phrases. Let us determine this, not to put an obstacle or a stumbling block in a brother's way. The word obstacle refers to an object on the path against someone who will strike their foot and fall. It's tripping up, right? So like if you were at our house over the last few days with my two young nephews visiting, There were lots of little obstacles in our family room, and they're called Legos. Have you ever stepped on a Lego? You might as well cut your foot off, right? It's that kind of thing. You know, the obstacle that is put out that trips you up. The other phrase that Paul uses, let us not put any obstacles, but let us not also put a stumbling block in front of someone. It's more intensified than just tripping It describes a snare. The actual word for stumbling block in the Greek was a snare, a trap. And it would catch an animal or a victim as they walked by. And Paul says we should live so that our conduct does not trip someone up or set them back spiritually or cause them to be restrained spiritually either through temptation. Like how we live. And what we decide on shouldn't cause other people to stumble or to be trapped. Now, the principle here is simple. We shouldn't do anything that is going to hurt a fellow believer or cause him or her to sin. In other words, if you know someone has a problem with controlling their consumption of alcohol, you shouldn't take a drink into their presence. If you know someone has a gambling problem, you shouldn't invite them over to play a game of cards. If you know someone struggled with the occult, you shouldn't encourage that person to participate in Halloween activities. Like you're being mindful. In any of those things that I mentioned, 
having a drink, playing cards, or going trick-or-treating. There isn't anything in and of itself that is terrible. There isn't. There's not one scripture that says, no, not ever. But if there's people that are struggling with those things, you don't want to invite them into the things that seem like no big deal, when for them, it's a big deal. It brings them right back to where they came from. We have to be mindful and not flaunt our freedom in front of the weaker in faith so to hurt them spiritually. And so we must consider our weaker brother. And we must not grieve them as well. Verses 14 and 15. I know and am convinced in the Lord Jesus that nothing is unclean in itself. But to him who thinks anything to be unclean, to him it is unclean. For if because of food your brother is hurt, you are no longer walking according to love. Do not destroy with your food him for whom Christ died. Now, a second way to build up fellow believers without offending them is to be careful not to say or do anything that might cause them to be spiritually grieved or hurt. As far as non sinful things are concerned, Paul says, I know and am convinced in the Lord Jesus that nothing is unclean in itself. He was not stating a personal opinion or a preference. Paul says, I am convinced in the Lord Jesus. Now, here's a man who walked with Jesus, whose life was radically transformed by Jesus, who was close to Jesus. I mean, just his whole life was focused on the Lord Jesus Christ. And Paul, who was the, the Jewish of all Jew people, right? He had the history. He had the pedigree. He would have grown up knowing you don't eat certain foods. They are unclean. You only eat certain foods because those are the ones that are deemed clean. Paul was convinced in the Lord Jesus Christ that nothing is unclean in itself. Jesus declared that there is nothing outside the man which is going into him that can defile him in Mark 7.15. Paul assured Timothy later on in 1 Timothy 4 verses 3 and 5, God has created all foods to be gratefully shared by those who believe and know the truth. For everything created by God is good and nothing is to be rejected if it is received with gratitude. For it is sanctified by the means of the word of God and prayer. Paul later informed Titus that to the pure, all things are pure. Here's the thing. Inanimate objects, such as food and drink, are morally neutral. They're they're just neutral. So what does Paul say? The strong Christian is entirely right in his conviction that he is at liberty to enjoy anything that the Lord does not declare to be sinful. The strong Christian is entirely right in their conviction that they are able to enjoy anything that the Lord Jesus Christ does not declare to be sinful. The weak Christian, on the other hand, is wrong in his understanding about some of those things, but they are not wrong in the sense of being heretical or immoral. The weaker Christian 
is wrong in the sense of not having complete and mature understanding about those things, which causes their conscience to be unnecessarily sensitive. But they are not wrong in that, you know, they're going to lose their faith or do they have a faith or any of the other things that we associate with being weak in the faith. And so for that reason, to, to him who thinks anything to be unclean, to him it is unclean in his mind. Like for me, right? Here's the statement. To him who thinks anything to be unclean, to him it is unclean. That all the other sports or football teams except for the Pittsburgh Steelers are unclean. <laughs> Angela knows. Well, we've got to figure it out. But if we looked at you and said, you, lo- you like that team? Can you be a Christian and like them? Right? Now that we laugh and chuckle, but put anything else in the, in the sentence that we do that with. The strong must respect the conscience of a person who disagrees with them. For any person's religious conscience is essential for their own walk with the Lord. We have to be careful. Paul's major emphasis in this passage is on how our words and actions affect the spiritual welfare of other Christians. Therefore, if it's because of food or any other issue and our brother is hurt, we are no longer walking according to love. If we make a big deal about things that are not a big deal and we hurt people, we're not walking in love. And God wants us to walk in love. That's what, it, that's what it's all about. That we are called to walk in love. Now this word hurt or is hurt by the actions, right? When the stronger make a big deal about the weaker issues and they hurt other people, this word hurt has the basic meaning of causing pain, distress, and grief. The best safeguard against grieving another believer's conscience is what? To love them. To walk in love with them. To always walk according to love. It is our duty in Christ when exercising our freedom, not only to think about how our actions affect us, but how also our actions affect other people. Like I said in the beginning, the big picture principle is this. True strength in the Lord is what you are willing to give up on behalf of another person. And Paul says... That is how love is magnified in the community of faith. We must always remember that it is not our display of Christian freedom that commends our faith to the world. But Jesus said in John 13, 35, that it is our love for one another that commends us to the world. This, they will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. The strong, mature Christian then voluntarily limits their freedoms out of love for their weaker brothers and sisters. Now, I just let me just make this statement and maybe I'll hide behind the pulpit for a little bit. But that whole idea of voluntarily giving up things doesn't sound very American. Because we, you know, we have freedom. We can do all things. Have all things. Pursue all things. But in the Christian community, in the body of Christ, 
True spiritual maturity is shown in what we are willing to give up for the sake of someone else that's weaker. We need to be mindful of that. The late Bible teacher Henry Ironside was at a Sunday school picnic. And at this picnic, there was a a former Muslim who came from India. Um, And this former Muslim uh, was at the picnic and had, had come to know Christ. And his name was Muhammad Ali, not the boxer. Okay? A different one. And he ran, this man ran his father's tea business in the United States. And as uh, Ironside is commenting about this, uh, he was chatting with this man at this picnic. And a young woman came by passing out sandwiches. And Ironside helped himself to several of them. But when this man, Mr. Ali, um, learned that they had pork and ham in them, he refused to take any of them. And the young woman laughed and said, Why, Mr. Ali, you surprise me. Are you so under the law that you can't eat pork? Don't you know that a Christian is at liberty to eat any kind of meat? Right? We are. Peter had a vision. All things are clean. In this vision, he saw all sorts of unclean animals brought before him in his mind in the book of Acts. All things are clean. Paul just said, all things are clean. Jesus himself said in Mark chapter 7, it's not what is on the outside that you put in. That's the issue. Well, this man, Mr. Ali, responded. He said, I am at liberty to eat it. He didn't disagree. But I am also at liberty to let it alone. You know that I was brought up a strict Muslim. My old father, nearly 80 years of age now, is still a Muslim. And every three years, I go back to India and give a report on the family business to my father. And always I know how I will be greeted. The friends will be sitting inside. My father will come to the door and say, Muhammad, have those infidels taught you to eat the filthy hog meat yet? No, father. Pork has never passed my lips. And then he says he can go in the house and have the opportunity to preach Christ to his family. He goes on and say, to say, I could not preach Christ to my father the next time I go home if I take one of these sandwiches. That converted Muslim was willing to limit his liberty in Christ for the sake of the gospel. <laughs> Whether towards unbelievers or towards weaker Christians, out of love, we should not insist our rights if it would damage the testimony of Christ. The word destroy that Paul uses here in verse 15 refers to utter devastation. Greek scholar W.E. Vine explains that this word destroy conveys the idea of not extinction, but ruin Loss, not of being, but of well-being. The idea is not to cause damnation, but to uh, seriously destroy or devastate their spiritual growth. So church, don't grieve your brother by your liberty. And finally, in verses 16 and 8 through 18, 
Therefore, do not let what is you a good thing be spoken of as evil, for the kingdom of God is not eating and drinking, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. For he who in this way serves Christ is acceptable to God and approved by men. Do not allow minor things to overshadow the main thing. Right? Let's keep the main thing the main thing. What's the main thing? The kingdom of God. It's not what we can eat or drink. Like when we get to heaven and we're surrounded by all the saints giving praise and honor and glory to the Lord Jesus Christ forever, that there will come a point when there will be a banquet table set for everyone that is born again in Jesus Christ. It's called the marriage feast of the Lamb. And I don't know what's going to be served on that table, but I know this, when we're sitting at that table, no one will be fighting or turning an eye and saying, oh, I can't believe we're eating that. It's, it's not what it's going to be about. Not only ought we to determine not to be stumbling blocks, we should also live as citizens of the kingdom of God. And here Paul, with finely tuned pastoral in, insight, elevates the conversation, right? He doesn't stay with food and drink. He doesn't keep bringing up these worldly examples of what we argue about and fight about and disagree about. No, he elevates our understanding to not this, but to that. That there's something bigger going on than what we see with our eyes. And if something is going to cause a problem and hamper the advancement of God's kingdom, we should refrain from doing those things. If the exercise of our freedom, which is lawful for us to do, detracts from the glory of God, then we should refrain. Paul wants us to remember that what is important is not the exercise of our freedom, but the glory of Christ. The kingdom of God is not eating and drinking. The point is that the gospel is not about details of issues that aren't really important. What is important that we are sinners and a loving God who demands righteousness gave gave us his only begotten son. And when we believe him by faith, we will not perish, but we will have everlasting life. We have got to stop fighting over issues that are not important. It doesn't matter what I think about an issue. It matters what God thinks. I wonder if God will be saying something very much like us or like this to us today. You should have not wasted the church's time or energy fighting over things like what movies you watch. If you can go to the movies to begin with. Which music that you prefer in the church service, whether it's contemporary or classical or if it was written a hundred years ago or 10 minutes ago or even scriptural things, right? Is the rapture pre-trib, mid-trib, post-trib? What about the doctrine of predestination? Do we all agree on that? What about the differences that exist between people that think that the church has replaced Israel and people that think that Israel is its own. 
Now, these are important things to talk about, the Bible things, right? The, the, the discussions that exist. But man, we have, we have divided over things that grieve God's heart. Those things are worth discussion. They're worth studying. But they must never become ends in of themselves to divide churches. For the kingdom of God is not eating and drinking. But what is the kingdom of God? Well, Paul answers it for us. First, it's righteousness. Righteousness is the central theme of the book. And it's the core of the doctrine of soteriology, the doctrine of salvation. It refers to both the justification of the believer that they are declared legally free by the righteous judge based on what Jesus has done for them on the cross. And it also refers to the righteous lifestyle that follows, which is what we call sanctification. The kingdom of God is righteousness. It's our change one time and it's our change right now. It's also peace. The kingdom of God is peace. Peace is the result of justification. Romans 5.1 Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Paul wants to replace the conflict and dissension that existed in the church of Rome. Fighting over food, fighting over drink, fighting over what was offered to idols, fighting over what the law said. I'm here, you're there. And he says, no, it's not about being here or there. It's about the peace that Jesus brings. Let us rest on that peace. And finally, it's joy. What's interesting is this word that is used for joy appears for the first time here in the whole book of Romans. Paul will conclude this section with a prayer. And he will say that the joy and peace will fill the Roman church through the power of the Holy Spirit in Romans 15, verse 13. Joy is the natural accompanying emotion to the presence of the Holy Spirit in our lives. When the Holy Spirit is in us and he unifies us, it creates in us joy. Not happiness, but joy. It's this feeling and understanding and and knowing That God has done something greater than what we can do in ourselves. And he is with us and for us. And nothing will change that. And so we have to keep the big picture in mind. The issue is in our reputation, but his. It's not whether we get to do what we want. The issue is whether we are free to do what we believe he wants us to do. What God wants most of all is for us to show his love and kindness. He wants us to show his love and kindness to each other, not argue with each other. You know, I'm thankful. You know, we spend a lot of time in this message talking about arguing and fighting and all those things. You know, I'm thankful for we're not a church that does that. Like, really, I'm not lying to you. I'm not trying to say it's because we're on a live stream and it's like, hey, folks, come visit our church because we don't fight with each other. No, I don't ever remember a time where, where people were, you know, out in the parking lot drawn to fisticuffs because they're fighting over where they're going to eat lunch after the church service. Or you went out to eat lunch. I mean, you're supposed to eat at home. No, no, we're going to go out. You know, and then we fight over those things. You know, we don't, we don't devour each other 
We're not critical of those things, but there is that propensity in us to elevate ourselves over other people. And what Paul is saying is, please be careful with that because your strength in the Lord is more determined by what you're willing to give up for the sake of another. And then he wraps this up in verse 18 and he says, for he who in this way serves Christ is acceptable to God and approved by men. What way? What's the way that we serve Christ in this way? that we understand that the kingdom is central and not all the other things. That the kingdom of God is not operative in your life if your rights are so important that you are willing to separate from another. If you're willing to divide over those things, then the kingdom of God is not ruling your heart. And when that happens when we're able to push those things aside and focus on God's eternal kingdom, two groups will unite in one church and fulfill their divine purpose. First, vertically, they're pleasing to God. And second, horizontally, their service will receive human approval. When the strong give up, willingly give up their freedom to more important kingdom truths, then God will indeed be pleased with them. So what do we do with all this? Well, I'm not going to not root for the Steelers later today. So (laughs) not that. What do we do with all this? The first thing is we need to determine whether the Bible speaks directly to a situation. Let the word of God speak. What do I mean by that? Well, God has already said it. We just need to know what it says. Spend time in God's word. If if God's word is clear, rest there. Obey those things. If it's not clear, don't think that the first thing that you can do is say, well, I have liberty then. Rather, think about your weaker brother's spiritual growth and be willing to lay those things aside. The big deal is that my brother grows in his walk with Christ. Not, I can do this. And for that, we keep our eyes on the kingdom. Remember, that kingdom is going to last forever. And the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Let's pray. Father.